After yesterday's most extraordinary day, London is pretty much back to normal, and that means politics is back to normal. I'll tell you what's been happening in the English Channel since the Queen died. I haven't discussed it. We'll talk about riots, serious riots, going on between Hindus and Muslims in Leicester. I'll debate, I'll ask you, is mass immigration all good for this country? Lord Glasman, the founder of Blue Labour, will join me on Talking Pints. Well, yesterday was the most extraordinary, momentous, historic day in London, certainly one that I will never forget. And when you hear this morning that 60% of the world's population watched that, watched that funeral service, I mean, it's truly extraordinary. But normal service has been resumed. The Prime Minister is off in New York. We will talk tonight about that. There's going to be a major economic story coming out this Friday. But there's one story that no-one wants to talk about. Doesn't suit the Labour Party, doesn't suit the Conservative Party, doesn't suit mainstream media. Oh, and how dare I, how dare I even begin to discuss this subject? Because, you see, Tony Blair, when he came to power with his friends, Peter Mandelson and Alistair Campbell, decided he would change the nature of our country. He would rub the noses of the right in diversity. We would pursue a virtually open-door immigration policy. Since that began, the British population has risen by 8 million people, and 85% of that directly down to those immigration policies. Now, of course, the Conservatives not being Conservative at all and barely having a backbone at most times in those 25 years have never opposed any of it. And now they're in government, massive immigration levels continue, both legal and, of course, illegal. I haven't talked about any of this since September the 8th. That was the day that our beloved Queen died. But I can tell you that on September the 11th, 245 people were taken into the reception centre at Dover. I can tell you that on September the 12th, 601 went into that centre in Dover. On the 13th of September, it was 538. On the 13th of September, it was 617. Since then, the wind has blown in the channel and people haven't come. We now have more people that have crossed the channel so far this year than came in the entirety of last year. And worst of all is about 60% of them are now Albanians, a country that is a NATO member, a country that is an applicant member for the European Union, a country in which very large numbers of Brits go on holiday. I've shown you before the TikTok adverts. They're open about it. Many of them are coming to join criminal gangs in this country. Add to that what has been happening night after night in Leicester, with riots, battles going on between the Hindu and Muslim populations. Is the narrative that all immigration is good for Britain, that it should never, ever be questioned? Does this still hold? I'm asking you. Is all immigration good for Britain? Farage at gbnews.uk. And look, we know that if it's controlled, if it's done properly, it can be a great benefit. It has been a great benefit to our country. I am not disputing that. But I'm arguing that if the numbers are too big, if assimilation doesn't happen, then we have a massive, massive problem. Well, let's focus, to begin with, on the illegal aspects of immigration. And I'm joined in the studio for the first time by Kevin Saunders, former chief immigration officer in Calais for many, many long years, 15 years. You did that job. I did. Um, you know a little bit about this subject. Kevin, my argument is that it is impossible, it should be impossible, for anybody from Albania to claim refugee status in our country. They now appear 
unless I've got this wrong, you can correct me, they now appear to be taking over the smuggling gangs, the smuggling routes. Whole villages are emptying of young men in Albania. This looks to me to be the most serious phase yet of what's happening in the channel. Nigel, you're completely right. This is a really worrying phase. Um, we're told 60% of um, people coming across are Albanians. That does surprise me. I wouldn't have thought the numbers are, are that high, but um, certainly, you're right, a very large number are coming across from northern Albania, which is quite a poor, poor, poor area of Albania. Yep. Um, they're coming over. Uh, they don't want to claim asylum. They, they'll land and say asylum, but they don't want to claim asylum. They want to get into the unregulated economy. Um, By what, which you, it, it is a polite way of saying crime. Yes. It, it's, yes, it's, they want to get into crime, yes. Um, the gangs that are bringing them over want to use them in their cannabis factories. That's one of the places that they're using them. Of course, the Albanians are now a major players in the cocaine business. Um, they've taken over from the Vietnamese, so we're now seeing um, Albanians controlling this. Uh, um, car crime is something else. If you want a high-value car, and I mean the really expensive cars, um, they will steal them to order, whip out the tracking device, it'll be freighted up, uh, in a container and back in Albania in, within a week and then sold in Albania for about a third of what it would mm. cost in, this in the UK. And unfortunately also prostitution. Well, I was going to come to that, Kevin, because something we noticed in the week before our Queen died from the footage we've got at Dover is that for the first time there appear to be middle, late teenage girls crossing the English mm. Channel, unaccompanied middle, late teenage girls. I can't say, I can't prove there's a direct link to the Albanians, but I'm pretty suspicious. Oh, I'm, I'm, you have a right to be. I'm quite sure that that is exactly what it is. Um, if they allege that they're over 18, then they've got to go through the, the, the normal asylum system. If they're under 18, then they can be taken into the care of the local authority. Uh, but again, they they don't want to be they don't want to be in the system. No. They what they, what we're seeing <clears throat> is they're being put into the the hotels and places like Napier Barracks. They'll be there for two or three days and then they'll disappear. They, they, so they abscond. They abscond. Yeah. And we've tried um, tagging them, and the tags yes. are just ripped off. I, there was an advert I saw on TikTok. I, I might show it tomorrow. Are they showing you how to cut the tag off? Yeah. What, what, Kevin, what are we going to do? Well, with the Albanians, Albanians are a lot easier, actually, to deal with than um, normal people that are claiming asylum because they are... We all know that they're not here for asylum. We all know they're economic refugees mm. or criminals. So they are removable. Why are we not removing them? Well, we have um, entered an arrangement with the Albanian government. The Albanian government have um, or, or are about to deploy um, Albanian police officers to work with Border Force at Dover. Um, we've signed actually an, a removal agreement with mm -hmm. the government. So it can be done and it won't be the same issues as we had with Rwanda, with uh, the European right. Court. So if I bring you back here in four weeks' time, will the situation be better in your opinion? 
I doubt if it'll be better in four weeks. I think it'll probably be better by Christmas. All right. Well, we're going to hold you to that. I mean, not that you're in charge anymore, but we're <laughs> going to hold you to that. We're going to bring it. And by the way, folks at home, we're just talking about those that come from Albania, not, yes. the, not those that come from the rest of the world. And those numbers are still substantial, whatever the Albanian percentages. Kevin Saunders, thank you very much indeed for joining me here tonight in the studio. Now, what the hell has been going on in Leicester? A cricket match between India and Pakistan has led to riots, open fighting on the streets of Leicester. Totally and utterly extraordinary. Over two dozen police officers, even a police dog, injured in all of this. 47 people arrested. Scenes that I never hoped we'd see in a British city. Mr Blair, is this what you meant by having a diverse society? Is this what you intended all along? I really do wonder about this. It seems to me... What we've done here is to import tribal hatreds from the Indian subcontinent. Racism, you think we've got a problem in this country with racism? These people absolutely hate each other's races. Let's get a better, fuller, deeper analysis than the one I've just given you. I'm joined by Dr. Rakib Hassan, research analyst and writer specialising in race relations. Thank you very much indeed, Rakib, for joining me on the programme. Would it be right to describe these scenes night after night in Leicester as race riots. Nobody else wants to do it. Mainstream media, everybody else is blaming, oh, it's social media. But these are race riots, surely. Well, one thing that I'll say, Nigel, this is sectarian violence. And as what you said there about yep. tribal hatreds, the reality is foreign-inspired sectarianism and ultra-religious identity politics is now on Britain streets in a regional city. And what's even worse is that we have out-of-town troublemakers traveling from major cities such as London and Birmingham, adding further heat to those community tensions in Leicester. Now, Nigel, I've heard all kinds of nonsense, people blaming subcontinental style sectarianism on British colonialism, um, people even blaming the far right um, for ultimately uh, the Islamist tensions, um, uh, gangs fighting with one another predominantly of Indian and Pakistani origin. And I think you may make a really good point about immigration. While we do have a serious homegrown problem on this front, um, the reality of the matter is that we do have newly arrived subcontinental migrants with radical uh, ideological beliefs. Uh, India um, is not quite the advanced pluralistic democracy that some people may think. Um, it has become a hotbed of Hindu fundamentalism. Well, we have Pakistan. Um, in the latest Fragile States Index, Nigel, it, it is said to be more fragile than Mauritania, North Korea and Palestine and has a serious Islamist yeah, problem. Yeah, so I really yeah. do think that we need to talk yeah. about having a more pro-integration immigration system. And here we are, no, so do I, but here we are, and I'm talking now about, and I, I was just discussing illegal immigration with Kevin Saunders, but here we mm. are discussing legal immigration because we're now giving out huge numbers, are we not, of work permits to people coming from India without any thought or concern about whether they're going to bring those racist hatreds from a subcontinent into our country. Don't we need to have a proper discussion about this? 
Of course we do, Nigel. If if you are a British citizen who cares about social cohesion and public security, you should be supportive of a streamlined immigration and asylum system. We currently have a dysfunctional asylum system. I, I wouldn't say that we have a very well-structured immigration system either. And if um, the UK no. is looking to boost ties with the Commonwealth, Commonwealth members such as India, that shouldn't mean a hyper-liberalisation of immigration rules. No, and that's what it has meant, and seemingly there is absolutely no determination by this government to do anything about it, mm. or even to have a discussion about it. I'm amazed. Even the backbenchers don't want to discuss this. The newspapers don't really want to discuss this. I'm discussing this, and yet I get called all the names under the sun, as no doubt you will be, for coming on this programme, for trying to have an honest, open debate. In the face of this, what on earth are the police force of Leicester supposed to do? Well, I think that one thing that is good, it seems like we have different police forces now cooperating with one another because you did see out-of-town out of troublemakers entering Leicester and worsening the situation. I did feel that it did seem like that Leicestershire police force was somewhat ill-equipped to cope with that uh, scale of public disorder. So we do need local police forces to be aware, especially if they're covering areas with diverse South Asian populations, they need to be prepared and well equipped to cope with those forms of public disorder. And if I'm being completely honest, we do have local communities now where there is a great deal of foreign inspired sectarianism. So we do need some kind of social and political leadership and much of that is lacking. Uh, it's lacking completely. Rakeep Hassan, thank you very much indeed for coming on and speaking frankly here on GB News. So there you are, folks. You're told by the entirety of our political establishment that all diversity is good, that all immigration is good, and that anybody that dares to challenge this is mad or bad to the point of being evil. I ask you, is what is going on night after night on the streets of Leicester, what we want for our country. I think I know the answer. So was Mr Blair right? Was every successive Conservative leader since then in what they've done right? Is all diversity good? Is all immigration good? Given, bearing in mind, what we've seen in Leicester. Some of your responses coming in. William says, this is a disgrace. Most people voted to leave the EU. We're voting this way to stop this invasion. Now, invasion, William, is a strong word. When I've used it, I've been criticised. But when getting on for 30,000 people have now crossed the English Channel in small dinghies, what on earth else are we supposed to call it? Marilyn says, have any immigrants helped with the clean-up in London today whilst waiting to be processed? If not, why not? This, Marilyn's a tough one. There is an argument that those that have crossed the Channel and have applied for asylum or refugee status, whichever term you prefer, there is an argument they should be allowed to work. But as soon as you allow them to work, you virtually guarantee they've got the right to stay. It's rather like giving amnesties for illegals. If you do that, all you do is to encourage more. Remember, we want to have those of us that voted Brexit wanted to control our borders, not to stop all immigration, but to make sure we controlled it and got the right people. John says, I and my friends have been complaining about levels of immigration for years and our useless politicians are frightened of being criticised by the human rights mob. Well, John, 
you know, if you're a regular to this show, you'll know I've said it again and again, and I will go on saying it. I am not wrong, believe me. We'll never sort any of this out. All the work, while we stay part of the ECHR with the Human Rights Act putting it into British law. Oh, lawyers love it. They've made millions out of it. But it doesn't suit our country. And finally, um, I have an anonymous here says, my country is being ruined. Brexit was supposed to stop this illegal immigration. Well, there you are. Some of you might remember I stood by a poster, a poster that said the EU is failing us all, breaking point showing queues of people illegally trying to get into the, into the European Union. And I was just about deemed to be the worst person that had ever lived on the face of modern Britain. But I don't think I was wrong. Now, let's talk about something else that is downstream from this argument about immigration. And that is the way the police are dealing with their own officers in the face of them being scared, yes, of being called Racist. We've seen it, of course, with the grooming gangs in Rotherham and other parts of the north of England. Well, let's just have a little think about what has been going on. And again, I haven't talked about any of this since the death of our Queen over the course of these last 11 days. It just seemed wrong. It just seemed inappropriate. I thought we should focus on those dramatic, very sad global events. But as I said, said at the top of the show, normal service has been resumed. So what has happened is that in South London... A young man was shot dead by firearms police last week. It led to a series of protests. Yes, the protesters were not waiting for one minute for the funeral of the Queen. They were in London protesting last Saturday. There they were, um, you know, in Parliament Square, walking up towards number 10 Downing Street. They say that much of this is down to racism in the police force. Uh, the independent... Office of Police Conduct has now launched a murder investigation into the death of this 24-year-old Chris Kaba. And the Met itself, which always seems, always seems to dump on its own officers whenever there's any difficulty or any potential media criticism. Unbelievably, the Met admitted that the shooting had had a significant impact on public confidence. Well, what can I tell you? about Chris Cabba. Well, I can tell you the following things. He's a member of MOBO. It's a nominated drill rap group. That of itself, of course, not a crime, but as some of us, it's MOBO-nominated group. And, you know, as you may know, some of the words in some of this drill music are pretty vicious and pretty nasty. He was handed a four-year sentence when he was 19 years old and found guilty of being in possession of a firearm. This was all to do with an incident in Canning Town where shots were fired. I can tell you, he was shot through the head, through a windscreen on September the 5th, after the vehicle was flagged down by police because they believed the vehicle to be linked to an earlier firearms incident. What I am not allowed to talk about are the claims and counterclaims of what happened. The police give a version of events as to why they used that firearm. Friends and supporters, uh, you know, socialist workers, Black Lives Matter, they give their account of what happened. Uh, and it's not for me, given that this is now subject to a murder inquiry, it's not for me to say who's right and who's wrong. But there is a general, broader point here. And it is about our firearms police officers, because they are threatening to resign over this. 
And I don't just mean one or two. There are many of them that are threatening to resign over this. That would be in a capital, in a country, and of course there are firearms units around the country, but that would be very, very serious in the face of any terrorist incident. Well, joining me to discuss this is security expert, close protection expert, Will Geddes. Will, you've been with us many, many times before. You know these men and women that work in our specialist firearms units. What are they like and how often do they ever use their guns? Very, very rarely, uh, to be absolutely honest with you, Nigel. And I've worked with law enforcement agencies across the world, including the United States. And in terms of the training and in terms of the checks and balances and auditing and investigations, we are probably subject to the most stringent controls ever. And in terms of the officers, particularly the SO19 and the ARV, yep. the armed response vehicle units, um, they are only going to use their weapons and present their weapons, let alone discharge them, at situations which they believe either are life-threatening to them or to other members of the general public. And they work as a team. So if somebody was to step grossly out of line, I mean, they wouldn't get away with it, would they? No. I mean, in terms of how they will respond to a hostile threat, and a hostile threat is someone that is threatening either with a weapon themselves, it could be a vehicle, it could be a knife, it could be anything which is potentially going to cause harm, and it could cause fatal harm. They will give so many advance warnings, Nigel, before they actually deploy that firearm. And I think, you know, again, you say with Mr. Cabot's case, we can't speak particularly on that issue because no. it's currently under investigation. But what I do know is that it, these officers and the officer that discharged that particular weapon and any other witnesses will be subject to the most stringent investigation to determine that everything appropriate, the rules of engagement employed, were as they should be. Yes. And if they weren't, <coughs> then suitable punishments will be levied. I, mean, I looked at it, you know, and last year there were 18,000 incidents to which firearms units were called out. They yeah. used firearms on four occasions. Yeah. In the whole of last year, yeah. on four occasions. The year before, five occasions. Mm. So this idea that black people are being indiscriminately shot by, by, by firearms units clearly is massively wide of the mark. But to me, the even bigger question is how is it, and again, not prejudging, but we do know this man had served a sentence for previous firearms offences, and police are allowed to use reasonable suspicion. Yes. Around, you know, of course yeah. they are. Yeah. How is it in the face of this that the Met say the shooting has had a significant impact on public confidence as 500 people, including Diane Abbott, yeah. you know, are... <laughs> even before the funeral, but they, they weren't going to wait for that, mm. you know, saying that this shows what a terrible, dreadful, racist country we are. Well, that's not Why that's do not the helpful. Met back off? Why do the Met I, do I this? I have no idea, Nigel. And I think hopefully with the installation of Mark Rowley and hopefully this re reduction of this pandering to a certain extent to, well, to the general populace, well. that we will, fingers <coughs> crossed, Nigel, start seeing a more robust police force. But what we are seeing, and bearing in mind the vast majority of police officers, evidence over the last few days, and particularly yesterday, are unarmed, that there is some 40,000 approximate assaults on police officers every year. Now, these officers, men and women who are actually carrying out this this service to provide our protection to respond in many extreme situations are putting their lives at considerable risk and they may have no more than a, a, an, an ASP 
and uh, a taser. Yeah, we exactly. saw them yesterday. Yeah. It was magnificent yeah. yesterday. I spoke to dozens of police officers yesterday. They were doing a grand job. They yeah. really, really were. Sunday morning, two police officers stabbed in Leicester Square. Yeah. So Mark Rowley put out a statement. And in the middle of that statement, after the stabbing of two police officers, he said, we know the need for reform. Yeah. Can you understand why? Not just firearms officers, but other police officers are frankly considering just packing it in. And I know quite a few police officers who are considering that personally, that they feel that they're not being supported suitably to be able to fulfill their role. I think what we have to consider here is that police officers have perhaps lost a degree of respect over the years. I mean, you and I are of similar ages. Yeah. I think back in the day when we were youngsters, um, we treated them with a great deal more respect. If not, you know, yeah. if not, we were dealt with quite harshly. Yeah. But to Mr. Cabra and particularly to the, the, the BAME sector who, who believe that they are of, of greater focus, uh, I work with a lot of drill groups. Uh, a lot of those guys, even though the rhetoric and the, and yeah. the, and the prose that they use in their music, um, does sound violent, it does sound aggressive, does sound gang-related. Most of these guys are really, really nice people. Uh, I do understand that people can feel um, particularly targeted or profiled. Uh, I, myself, I've been pulled over by the police uh, and, and, you know, questioned and had the vehicle searched uh, for no particular reason. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it does happen. happen. It does happen. But if the narrative they're hearing, and the, the press are too afraid, yeah. and all the press are telling us is that Chris Cabber was training to be an architect and was an expecting father and a lovely boy. Well, I think the press have got to be far more balanced. But as you and I both know, Nigel, Let's that isn't always the case. And I think the problem is also it does incite and it feeds the fuel or fuels the, the, yeah. the, 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 the hatred and the concern and the sensitivity, understandably. And people will respond feeling this is unjustified in certain yeah. terms of how they responded. But underlying all of that, the police need to be supported. They need to have the support of the general public and the trust by the general public. Inevitably, there will be occasions where they get it wrong. Of course. It always will happen. Of course. But whatever we can do to reinstate, particularly within themselves, I mean, that statement says it all, yeah. that they've got to reinstate a faith in their own force and, and a commitment to them. Investigations, they will be pursued. If there is wrongdoing, the officer will be prosecuted. We'll get his thank you very much indeed for joining us. And above all, I think those police officers don't just need our support, they need their bosses to believe in them and to support them as well. A very worrying incident. I think some of those protesters would love another George Floyd-type moment, frankly. Let's go to New York. Let's join Darren McCaffrey, our political editor who's there. There's a big get-together at the United Nations. It is our Prime Minister's first foreign trip. Darren! Um, I understand that the trade deal with the United States of America, something that I, of course, championed when Trump was in office, and I've been very sceptical could ever happen with Biden in the White House. I understand Liz Truss has now given up on the idea in the short term of a trade deal with the USA. Uh, yes, she effectively has. Uh, overnight on the plane from, New from London to New York, Nigel, uh, she essentially said that, you know what, it's not going to happen any time uh, soon. Clearly, the circumstances are not right. As you say, uh, President Biden has got, frankly, other things on his agenda and also has stated quite frankly, hasn't he, that he's not terribly happy with the Northern Ireland Protocol and some of the noises coming from Westminster when it comes to uh, Brexit. Uh, let's be very clear about this, though. We've known this for quite a long time, have we, Nigel, that 
practically ever since Donald Trump left the White House that any trade deal was looking pretty unlikely. And these things can be pretty complex, but is this a significant blow? You bet it is. You know, Liz Truss, former international uh, trade minister, she has managed to sign actually quite a few uh, trade deals, but this was the really golden opportunity. And it has somewhat slipped out of the UK's hands, at least, as you say, in the short term. The US is the world's largest economy, so there will be political ramifications, I think, around this. In saying that, she is due to have talks with President Biden here at the United Nations tomorrow. It was meant to be held, of course, in Downing Street on Sunday until it got cancelled. And it is important to step back and think for a second what an extraordinary couple of weeks this has been for Liz Truss. I mean, it was two weeks today since she became Prime Minister, clearly. The nation, the government has been focused on the national period of mourning, but politics is very much back in frame now, Nigel, as usual. She had a meeting with Emmanuel Macron, the French president, earlier on today. She's also meeting with the German Chancellor, with a whole range of European leaders, including Ursula von der Leyen of the EU Commission, in the next couple of hours. But it is interesting that here the focus is on Ukraine and security. We're all awaiting tonight to find out what President Putin is going to say. He's due to address the Russian people. That will be interesting to see what the response will be here from the United Nations, from the world leaders that have gathered. But what I find interesting is that all the questions the Prime Minister was having to ask today was what's happening at home domestically? Because we've not been really given a chance to question the Prime Minister in the last couple of weeks. We know about that energy policy to try and ease people's bills, but there's going to be a big fiscal announcement on Friday as Parliament reconvenes, expecting big tax cuts. And Liz Truss today suggesting that she's going to do things that she thinks are going to be initially unpopular with the public. For example, lifting that banker's bonuses cap in the City of London. But her argument is that even if it's unpopular with voters in the short term, it's what necessary, what is necessary to try and get Britain back on a strong growth when it comes to the economy. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out politically in the days and weeks ahead. But the pressure is now back on Liz Truss, not just here in New York on the world stage when she addresses world leaders tomorrow night, but when she returns back to London and those difficult decisions have to be announced and the public get to react to what they think about them all. Great report there from New York. And two things I'd add to that. The first is, had the Tories got on with Brexit, not picked Theresa May as leader, made a complete horlicks of the whole thing, we would have signed a trade deal with America when Donald Trump was still in the White House because he was dying to do that deal. Second point worth mentioning, Liz Truss has committed a further £2.3 billion of our money to support Ukraine and its battle against Putin. And whilst I'm sure a vast majority of you would agree that's the right thing to do. Some won't. Should Prime Minister just be able to say it's a couple of billion here, a couple of billion there, without any discussion at all? I don't know. The What the Farage moment, well, it goes to Westminster Hall, and it is two very, very well-known television presenters. Yep, you know them, Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby. And there they are in Westminster Hall, going to pay their respects to the Queen's coffin. And they did it via a method that accredited members of the press could do so without having to queue for 12 hours or whatever it may be. There has been a hell of a storm on social media around this. How dare they jump the queue when their viewers and ordinary folk have to queue up for 12 hours or more? Their response has been uh, that they were doing it strictly for 
reporting purposes, yet nobody seems to believe them. Yes, there are loads out there that want them sacked. What do I make of all of that? Well, I thought about it because I could have done the same thing that they did, but I just thought I couldn't have, wouldn't have the heart to do that when people are queuing through the night, particularly Friday night into Saturday morning when it got down to about two or three degrees in London. So I think what the two of them have shown is extremely bad judgment, but I don't think for a moment this morning we'll sack them over it. Be interested to get some of your thoughts on that, please, via email. It's time for Talking Pints. Yes, full normal service has been resumed. And my guest this evening is Lord Morris Glasman, who joins me on the programme. Welcome to Talking Pints. The King. The King, absolutely. Now, we're looking, of course, behind us here, for those watching on television, at the Palace of Westminster, where you have been ensconced. For a while. Since 2011, as yeah. a Labour peer. Um, must have been fairly extraordinary. We've had the, the joint meeting of the Lords and the Commons, the speakers of both, the King, mm. and to me as a Brexiteer, that sovereignty, the King in Parliament, our that is what it was all about, isn't it? Our sovereign King, our sovereign lady is now the sovereign King, and it was remarkable, Nigel, because I love the ancient constitution, the balance of power rather than the separation of powers. I think we've got a stronger democracy than America, for example, or France. I think there's, there's more to it. And what happened was the Speaker of the Lords, Speaker of the Commons, pledged their fidelity to the king, but what the king said was he pledged to support democracy and liberty. So that was the covenant. It was, yes. uh, it's, we haven't got a social contract, we've got a covenant, an institutional covenant. And it was remarkable to see it alive. The room was yes, alive with it. I mean, you, you know, you're an academic and, you know... Well, you know, don't exaggerate. Well, you are, and you lecture on political theory and mm -hmm. things like this. And you understand the British Constitution better than most. You know, for most of us, for most of the country, we've learnt for the first time what a constitutional monarchy is. Well, this is the incredible thing, is that the monarchy underwrites democracy. We've got, it's a paradox. It sounds yeah. wrong, but it yeah. is right. And I think... That's the way also to understand Blue Labour, it's a what? Blue, We're going to come to that. that yeah. But that combination of radical and traditional is the beauty of our constitution. And the key thing is, it's the king in parliament. Yeah. I mean, the reason we had to chop Charles I's head off was he tried to rule without parliament. You mentioned it just now. Mm. Why does the prime minister have this authority to do a billion here, a mm. billion there? Mm. That's a completely legitimate constitutional point. You've got to work in Parliament. So the tendency is always for the executive, used to be the monarchy, now yep, it's the government, yep. to break the bonds of accountability. And we have to keep them straight. Absolutely. And that's what Parliament's for and what Parliament does. Sometimes well, sometimes perhaps not so well. Sometimes uh, Not too bad, really. I mean, in terms yeah. of the accountability is there. And now we are living in our sovereign state. Yeah. We can hold the politicians to account. Yeah. They can't hide behind... Brussels. No, absolutely. You know, they well, are well, accountable. Well, well, cheers to that as well. <laughs> yeah. Extraordinary, isn't it, on this South Bank, four days and four nights, over 400,000 people processed. Didn't matter how cold it was, didn't matter how long it took, they wanted to do it. Had the lying in state been for a fortnight, millions would have done it. You know that, yeah. and I know that. And it brought out, I thought, the best of British in every way. Pretty remarkable, it, it, wasn't was our, it was our best face, and that's the beauty of this, is that politicians have to do what politicians do, and we are totally unworthy of love. We've 
we represent interests, we do mm. deals, mm. but there is a focus with the monarchy where there can be a much more holy things, you know, devotion, duty, obligation, love, sacrifice, and it's real. So we can have a national yes. unity and have it's a genuinely politics. what yeah. political theorists call agonistic politics. We can have a politics of real debate, discussion, division, but there is beyond that uh, a national unity. I think it was an incredible expression, which you don't find. I mean, I was in Ukraine, I was there for, for a month, and every night, you know, sounds bad, curfew, but, but when curfew kicks in, you're in someone's house, you're having a drink, you're talking, yeah. and when it, they take toasting very seriously, and all I had to say was, the Queen, yeah. Everybody stood up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, everybody and 60 stood up. 60% of the world's population watched the few. I mean, it's unbelievable. And this is extraordinary, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. they understand the sanctity of our constitution yeah. much better than we do sometimes. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, you've been sitting for Labour in the House of Lords since 2011, yeah. but you spotted something very early on that I spotted, and it was that working class, patriotic, old Labour, who believed in the family, believed in the Christian principles, the country, or Judeo-Christian principles. The don't worry, you don't have to say that. It's yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. but it's true. Yeah. Was, 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 was built on. Uh, that weren't ashamed to call themselves English and British. Yeah. That Labour lost complete touch with all of those people. And kind of, ever since you've been in the House of Lords, you've been criticising the party that you've been sitting for. Or is it that you're urging reform? been mutual. They've been criticising me as well. So, right. you know, that's the way it goes. Because you're, you, know, you come up with this concept of blue labour. I think maybe we encapsulate this debate best, you know, by talking about your book that's just out, Blue Labour, The Politics of the Common Good, by Morris Glasman. There it is, up on the screen, available, of course, at all good bookshops, no question about that. Explain to us, Blue Labour, and what I'm really interested in is your thinking of this concept of the common good. Yeah, well, those, those are the things. So Labour, I, I'm devoted to my party. I think it's a miracle that only Britain could produce, a party that simultaneously understands that capitalism is a menace. Capitalism tries to turn human beings and nature into commodities. And only by democratic association can we retain our human form. But also Labour, look at Attlee, look at Bevin, look at Peter Shaw. I mean, look at the history I of Labour. I love Peter Shaw, by the way. He was yeah. magnificent. But all of them are also, you know, Attlee's speech to Labour conference when people brought up constitutional reform, don't mess with it. Mm. Three words. You know, so there's this... But, there's but also, this, to interrupt for a second, Attlee, I'm told that on his office door, he had Major Attlee. Mm. So proud was he of his service in the trenches in World War One as a Major in Completely. the British Army. You see, old Labour was very patriotic, wasn't so it? So we weren't a Liberal Party. This is the point. We created our own party, working people created, which was simultaneously conservative and radical. That's the blue Labour. And what's happened is, since we sent so many people to universities and they all become very middle class and they all think that politics is about principles and rights. They don't understand it's about power, it's about how we live together. So the common good says there are different interests, they've got to negotiate and find a common good together. So that's, that's Blue Labour, you know. Okay, I mean, on so the... it's very faithful to the, what the party was like, let's say, before 1979. So you're out of date, you're a dinosaur. Yeah, but this is the other paradox, Nigel, the old is the new. What we saw with the Queen, what we saw, <laughs> what we're seeing every day, if you open your eyes, is that we, reality just is not day by day, it's, there's tradition yeah. and there's things. So 
It's an expression of real labour. Well, you understand this in a way that very, very few in Westminster, I think, still understand. I, I doubt many of them still get it. Because what I found leading UKIP... There's more than you think. OK. OK, and you must but, find but, that yeah, but, well, too. Yeah, but well, there. Oh, in private, of course. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's just the, the trouble is in public. Then they won't speak. Who's got the guts there? I found, as leader of UKIP, the growth of UKIP began with the Barnsley by-election. It did. It began in Barnsley. And suddenly UKIP had gone from being considered to be a fringe force outside of European elections, a fringe force, to coming second in a by-election, and we kept on going. And we came very close to winning Labour seats in by-elections, only the, only the postal vote stopped us from doing it. Yeah. So there were millions of Labour voters going from Labour to UKIP, and then, of course, a lot of them really did lend their votes to Boris Johnson to get the agony of Brexit over. But the evidence is that quite a lot of those voters are now quite disenchanted with everything. And what interests me with the way that you fought within the party uh, to get them to reconsider, to, or to reconnect, actually, reconnect well, with show, real people outside to Islington. To love and respect to the people who yeah. created the party. I mean, suddenly they were treated as kind of unpleasant addition to well, the coalition and you you got it and so you are in many ways my mortal enemy politically because you understood that you could appeal to that millions who are the decisive force in elections so the old is the new yeah for years working class voters were considered left behind abandoned let's have some pity on them yeah but then with brexit and then with the conservative victory in 2019 yeah. they're decisive they are the, the well, force. Well, the Labour Party. The Labour Party took these people for granted. I mean, it put Peter Mandelson into Hartlepool, for goodness sake. It put um, David Miliband into South Germany. I mean, these people had hardly ever been to the North East in their entire lives. So they were taken for granted, and Labour, quite rightly, paid a heck of a price, in my view, and I think yours too, yeah. paid a heck of a price for it. So we've got a... I mean, obviously, we've got a new Prime Minister. Uh, she and Kwasi Kwarteng, the Chancellor are pushing for what they see as free market solutions to get growth. Um, and you might question I do. some and, of that. And, and so this will be and you and I would, a ruin. And you and I, if we had an economics debate, would be a very interesting debate. I want that debate. Yeah. Because I, no, no. I think it's vital. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. We, I, mean, let, I mean, we should have that debate. Yeah. We can't do it today, but we will have that. Okay. But we, no, we will have that debate. Because uh, I still think, I think, I think the free market still works, but you have to, you have to curb its excesses. But look, but and, look, and, look. And, 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 you know, but, but look at it, it's just the City of London, the concentration of wealth and the abandonment of the area. There's got to be political well, intervention. I think, you see, I would say this to you. I would say that actually free market capitalism at its best is when the little people have a chance to have their but say. That doesn't exist. That's, well, it that's a well, it did happen in the 80s. It did happen in the 80s. We did see... Behind the back of all of that, you've got the closing of all the building societies, the centralisation of all institutions, the decimation of the assets of the North and the North East. They all flowed to London and they all got screwed in. That's the debate we've yeah, got to have. And I wouldn't disagree with you on much of this, you know, emotionally. I think, I think the common good concept, I quite like that concept, is how we get to it. Welcome. And we'll, and we'll have a big debate. But my question to you is, can the Labour Party, can it rediscover that connection with these voters in, you know, whether it's in Dudley or, you know, Bishop Auckland or wherever it may, because they've got to win those seats back to we win. Do, we do, right? And, that, and that's, that's the thing. So what we have is our tradition. 
So it's, it's whether Labour can understand itself as a historic force mm -hmm. that defends human beings against these inhuman forces yeah. that just say, no, the factory is closed, no, you, you know, you've got to work in a call centre. You know, it's got to be able to reconnect with those places and it's got to be able to listen and respect the people. Now, but obviously Brexit was a massive rupture mm. because ultimately it said, no, we're not, we're not listening to that. We don't yeah. want to strengthen the democracy. We don't want the accountability. We just want mm. to work within these constraints. So it's a huge journey back yeah. to being itself. Because if you think of Labour, just think of yourself in the 60s, 70s, what would you say it stood for? You say, well, more state intervention in the economy, yeah. Yeah. a bigger role for the working class, yeah. and the places that they live. That's the moment now. And it, stood, state... and it stood for Queen and Country. Always. No question but about always. that. It's those people, the Tommy Atkins, Patriots, absolutely. Final quick thought. Can Keir Starmer stand up and sing God Save the Queen? and folk out there believe that he means it. Well, Nigel, it's God Save the King. So I apologise, um, I apologise. You've got to adapt. You've got to get, you've got to get, you've got to get with the programme. Can he do it? He did it. I mean, when we now, had that is assembly... Is it believable? Is it believable? Oh, I think singing God Save the Queen, King is completely... You did it. We all did it. <laughs> it was a strange experience, but he, he, he can do that. It's, it's whether he can fully accept the democratic possibilities for okay. Labour opened up by Brexit. That's the big question, because now we're free. And if you want to have state intervention, we're not bound by Lisbon and Absolutely. Muscat. And that's the whole deal. I can know. we be a sovereign? Can Labour be the force for democratic sovereignty? It. That's the issue. Boris Glasman, thank you very much indeed for joining me on Talking Pines. Terrific. Quick, quick. Okay, it's time for Talking Pines. Robbo asks me, do you think there could be civil disobedience in Russia if Putin mobilises the armed forces and introduces conscription? Uh, big speech by Putin coming within the next few hours. Uh, he's not going to take those defeats lying down in the Donbass region. Uh, very quickly, could he, could he be politically in trouble? Yeah, I think the long term he is politically in trouble because uh, my information from um, my Russian friends is that support for the war is waning. It started about 30, 30, 40, 30 in favour, yeah. 30 against, 40 couldn't care. But apparently that 40 is saying, what the hell's going yeah, on here? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the consequences of that. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that there's... It's going to be very interesting. proper politics coming. He thought this was like a domestic dispute, that he could do this no, and just good. finish it off. It's not <laughs> it's, it's out, real. And before I go, there's breaking news. I hear that 200 Muslim men in Leicester have surrounded a Hindu community centre in Birmingham. Sorry, in Birmingham. It's spread. It's now in Birmingham. Uh, yep, I said earlier, irresponsible immigration. Mr Blair's doctrine that all diversity is good, well, some of it can be very, very good indeed. This in Birmingham tonight is looking very, very, very ugly. That's it from me. I'm back tomorrow at seven o'clock. <laughs>